Colorado green chili, butter pecan old-fashioned, and the perks of living next to a craft brewery. This week, we're in Denver. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink. This is the travel podcast for foodies. And each week we visit a different foodie city and try the dishes and drinks that make it famous. This time we're in Denver with Jessica Baumgart of Delicious Denver Food Tours. Jessica leads food tours throughout the Mile High City, and we talk about everything from elevated fusion food to street food. And Jessica tells me about the good-natured chili battle between the Hatch Chilies of New Mexico and the Green Chilies of Colorado. She even tells me about a green chili beer in Denver. Plus, we talk street art, Palisade peaches, and, of course, craft beer. I mean, Colorado is craft beer central, so we've got all that coming up. But if you like the podcast, do me a favor and take a second to give us a five-star review on your podcast app. Much appreciated to folks like Alex Strath1, who said, Brent brings on travel experts with unique stories to take you around the world and get unique insight into our beautiful world. Thanks, Alex. Destination. Eat, drink. Jessica, thank you so much for being here on Destination Eat Drink. It's a pleasure to get to talk to you about your town of Denver. Um, You know, normally I don't talk about beer or alcohol at the very beginning of this podcast, especially you and me (laughs) talking first thing in the morning, but what the heck, let's have a beer. Um, Because Colorado is kind of the ground zero, the epicenter of the modern craft beer movement that's just exploded in the United States over the last couple of decades. So let's talk craft beer in Denver. What can you tell me? Absolutely. We have a lot of it. Uh, Where I am sitting in my house, I live directly next to one of my favorite breweries in Denver, Cerebral Brewing. (laughs) I can smell smell, uh, the the brewing process happening on Mondays. I know the days that that happens. Um, Yeah, craft beer is a really big deal in Denver and Colorado. We have the second most uh, craft breweries in the country after California. People have called us the Napa Valley of beer. Oh, cool. um, and a, just a really high concentration of really, really good craft breweries. There are some good beer tours um, in town and um, just some awesome people doing doing really interesting things, particularly in Rhino. That's kind of the brew district of Denver. Um, the highest concentration of craft breweries in, in Denver, which is the highest concentration of craft breweries in in the state of Colorado. So what are a couple of your favorite craft breweries in Denver and what are some of their specialties that you look forward to trying when you visit there? I really love, like I said, Cerebral, who I I live directly next to. (laughs) I I know the guys over there. So um, that's like my neighborhood spot. Um, They do interesting things all the time. They have a hazy IPA right now that's so delicious. Um, but over in Rhino, I love a brewery called Ratio Beer Works. Um, those guys have an interesting story. They met um, as musicians on tour in the 90s. Oh, cool. Uh, so they, they joke that they uh, learned how to drink on tour. They learned how to brew in Germany. So they do German-style <laughs> beers. Oh, good. Uh, o- 
over at Ratio, but really good beers. And then right down the street from there, there's another I love called Our Mutual Friend. They have this really beautiful, colorful brewery right on Larimer Street in the heart of the Rhino Arts District, um, which is known for street art as well. So they've had, you know, they have big murals all across the front of their building. Um, and they, ha- they do some really good beers and they're directly next to my favorite, um, barbecue spot in Denver too. So beer Convenient. like wine, right? Is, is all about the pairing and, and what you're going to be eating with it. Um, so I always love the breweries that are close to my favorite, uh, eateries as well. You know, when I was thinking about craft beer, I also was thinking about, the other end of the spectrum, you know, and when, when I go to a new city, I like to try the craft beer, of course, but I also like to try the, you know, the lower end, (laughs) every town or every city, every state has like a, um, just a working day beer that folks drink. You yep. go to Chicago, you get an old style. You go to yep. Uh, yep. Austin, you get a Lone Star. You go to Rhode Island, you get yep. a Narragansett. Is, is there a beer yep. like that in Colorado or in Denver? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's Coors, right? It's Coors oh, Banquet. Of course. yeah, That's like yeah. our, we are absolutely a Coors town. Our baseball field is, you know, a Coors field. Um, it's said that the, the Coors logo is stamped on every single brick, um, and there are 1.5 million bricks that make up our baseball stadium right downtown. So yeah, we are definitely a, a Coors town when it comes to that, like that equivalent of your, your everyday, um, lower end beer for sure. You know, I didn't even consider Coors because I think of it as a national brand yeah. these days, <laughs> yeah. but it started out that way as a little local beer. Started here. I yeah. remember when I was a teenager, growing up in Chicagoland and folks would come back from ski trips in Colorado and they would talk about this beer called Coors and some people would yeah. even drive out there and drive back with cases of Coors and you were lucky to get yeah. it and it seemed yeah. like such an exotic <laughs> thing and now it's of course it's been yep. everywhere for I know and people forget but it's yeah it's still alive and well in Denver and uh the brewery out in Golden um, was definitely a place you could go do tours and things like that so yeah we're we're for sure a Coors town still well, we've we've had a couple of beers, so let's just go all the way. Let's have some cocktails now. Yeah, <laughs> what, yeah. What, what kind of uh, what kind of cocktails would we enjoy in Denver? We have everything. So we have you know the the classic cocktails. One of my favorite uh, drinks in the city is a butter pecan old fashioned at a place called Urban Farmer downtown. I love that spot. Oh, interesting. Um, How do they make that? It's really interesting. They take. Um, Amaro Nonino and they wash it over butter pecans. So they end up having this beautiful byproduct, which is like this boozy pecan that they used in the adult style granola. And then they take the Amaro Nonino and work it into the, the old fashioned. So it's uh, like a Woodford rye drink, but it has this really smooth, nice finish um, for people that are, you know, not really big on on rye drinks. But that's one of my favorite cocktails in the city. We have a lot of places that you know, one of my favorite cocktail bars is called Pocalola Social Club, and it's um, inside the Maven Hotel, which is actually where the cast and crew of Top Chef stayed when they filmed um, our season, Top Chef Colorado, uh, here across Denver. But Pocalola Social Club is one of those craft cocktail bars that I always sit at the bar and I always go dealer's choice. So I'll always mm. talk with a bartender about what I like, what I don't like. And then every cocktail is unique and interesting. So we've, we've got a lot across the city. We have, um, you know, some original places and then we have like 
second locations um, for some big cocktail bars. Death & Co. is a really um, popular um, co- cocktail bar that got started in Manhattan um, and then expanded out to Denver. So we have their second location inside the Ramble Hotel, which is up in Rhino as well. Well, we've had all of this alcohol. We'd better soak it up with some food before it gets too late. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's talk about the cuisine of uh, Denver because this is your speciality, delicious Denver food tours. Denver, I I can't think of uh, an iconic dish when I go to Denver, you know. Yeah. Um, Is there one single iconic dish where people go to Denver and they say, okay, this is what I have to have when I go to Denver? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, our local magazine polled locals on what is the iconic dish of Denver. And everyone sort of agreed on Colorado green chili. Okay. Um, that is probably our most notable. It's the dish that people, you know, have to try when they come to the city. Um, so we definitely, of course, feature green chili on our food tours. Um, but Denver is a, is a really interesting new food scene. You know, traditionally we've had this sort of meat and potatoes reputation. Um, and Denver as a, as a city has grown so much over the last 20 years. You know, we've exploded similar to Austin, similar to Nashville. Um, we're kind of in this cohort of mid-sized cities that are growing really rapidly. Um, and with that growth has come new chefs, new, producers, new psalms, new distillers, and then new new diners. So um, we've got some chefs bringing home James Beard Awards, which we compete, you know, with Best Chef of the Southwest. Um, we've got restaurants um, winning those awards as well. And then we have a really big um, wave of international cuisine as well. So Denver's really um, on the map now as a food city, which is really cool to see. I'm seeing more people come into Denver specifically to eat and to try some of these world-class restaurants, which I'm really excited about. I want to talk about that international cuisine in just a moment. But first, I want to mm-hmm. go back to Colorado green chili yeah. because yeah. I've heard about this, but I don't I've never had it. And I don't think I know uh. exactly what it is. So um, describe what 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 yeah. ingredients are in it. How, how is it served? And where are some places where we can get uh, good examples of it? Colorado green chili. It goes way, way, way back to kind of the origins of the red pepper green chili, right? So the pepper was originally discovered, they say, by Christopher Columbus in the West Indies. So it's a Caribbean plant um, that tasted to them like peppercorn, which was, you know, a prevalent flavor profile in Europe. Um, but it was red. So they named it the red pepper, brought it back to Europe. Um, and then it grew in popularity because it's, you know, a food, it's a spice, and it was also medicinal. Um, and then in the late 1500s, they say, you know, the Spanish brought those peppers back to North America um, and cultivated them across the Southwest, which traditionally isn't, you know, totally different climate from a tropical plant. So it's been tweaked over the many years um, and hybrids have been created, but we grow them in Colorado in Pueblo. So in the southern part of the state, um, green chilies are very, very popular, and we sort of have this rivalry with Hatch, New Mexico, just okay. south of us, yes, yes. which people call the, the green chili capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have a very intense rivalry. So Colorado green chili are traditionally using those green chilies from Pueblo, from the southern part of the state, and it's a really hearty, it's often a spicy stew. It's really good in wintertime. Um, a lot of times it's pork-based. Sometimes it has potatoes and other spices in, but it's a really simple, hearty, spicy 
stew. And it's really great for those like winter Colorado days. There are lots of places across Denver that do a really good um, green chili. My favorite is um, at a place called the Cherry Cricket, um, which is actually one of the oldest running restaurants in Denver. It started in 1945. Um, and they actually had a taste off between a couple of recipes where they were perfecting um, the current recipe of their Colorado green chili that they serve now. But um, really delicious. It's a simple dish. It's a, it's an inexpensive dish. You know, you can get a really good bowl of green chili in Denver for six bucks, seven bucks. When we talk about uh, green chilies, you compared to the Mahatch chilies. Are they all, kind of the oblong green chilies that we might recognize yes. from Hatch? Yes. Yes. And green chilies and red chilies, same, same plant, just picked at a different time, right? Mm-hmm. Green chilies are just picked before they're, before they're fully ripe. And you would roast them. Uh, you yeah. probably wouldn't eat them raw. You wouldn't like have them diced on top of chili. They'd be roasted and chopped in. They would be roasted. Yes, they would be roasted and chopped in. And that smell is like very iconic when you smell green chilies being roasted. It's, if you've ever been to, to New Mexico, you can smell it on the street. Yes. Feel like during that, <laughs> that time, you know, it's like it's a very memorable smell uh, for, for green chilies getting roasted. Yeah, we were talking before we started the podcast and, you know, you you lived in uh, New Mexico for a while, I believe, Jessica. And I've been yep. I've been to New Mexico. I love I love New Mexico. And I recall, you know, seeing the chilies drying on on tin rooftops around yep. New Mexico and enjoying yep. green chilies. And the the thing that about New Mexico, about Albuquerque and these areas is that you get green chilies not just on chili, but in everything. Right, in are, everything. <laughs> are, are there other dishes in Colorado where we would get these green chilies besides just the Colorado green chili? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to see smothered burritos with green chili. You're going to have the option to put green chili on hamburgers. It is not as pervasive as New Mexico. I, you know, I used to joke in New Mexico, you really have to opt out. Um, <laughs> it's assumed, assumed that you will be having, you know, red or green is the question, um, which chilies you're having um, on all sorts of different dishes. Um, so in Denver, it's not that uh, pervasive, but yes, you're going to see green chilies and that flavor profile in a lot of different things. One of my favorite breweries downtown, Wincoop, uh, brewing company, which was started by our old uh, mayor turned governor of Colorado, who's now our one of our Colorado senators, John Hickenlooper. Um, they have a green chili beer that has a nice kick to it. Oh, good. Um, so it's even it's even built into craft beers out here. Let's talk a little bit about the international cuisine that has sort of migrated to Colorado. You mentioned this mm-hmm. um, in terms of high-end cuisine, I guess. Give me some examples. What what types of cuisines are we talking about that are now in Denver and we can experience on a regular basis? Yeah, there is really everything. Um, there is everything from Latin dim sum, which is one of my favorite places called Super Mega Bien. They come by with dim sum carts, but you can have ropa vieja and plantains and, you know, traditional Latin food in a dim sum style. There is a great um, French Asian fusion spot right downtown, which is elevated called Chalone. They do a French onion soup dumpling. If you've ever had soup dumplings, those like delicious little dumplings that explode in your mouth, except inside these, these dumplings is French onion soup. Um, so we have some really interesting elevated fusion spots, and then we have some awesome like street food. We've got a great um, Argentinian empanada shop that's owned by two brothers from Buenos Aires um, that just does really 
awesome, flaky, uh, delicious baked empanadas. That's called Lazo Empanadas. We've got a great little um, northern Chinese street food shop directly next to Union Station, which is, you know, the heart of downtown Denver called Zo Mama. Um, so there's really everything across the city from, you know, the, the quick and easy bite to the elevated sort of fusion experience. And it's interesting to see such a cool international cuisine um, hit hit Denver, Colorado. You know, when I go traveling to a new city, obviously I'll be hitting the, the highlights, the well-known mm-hmm. landmarks to see those. But I also mm-hmm. like going to some of the lesser known neighborhoods. Um, especially some of the immigrant neighborhoods, because here rents are lower. There's a lower barrier of entry for folks who want to yep. bring cuisine from their homeland into the community. And yep. I'm wondering, what are some examples that we can maybe think of of Denver, where places where maybe that are a little bit more off the beaten path, where we yeah. could enjoy some uh, uh, international cuisine? Two spots that I always recommend, and they're not going to be right in the heart of downtown because that's going to be the highest rent and, you know, the hardest to kind of break into that little section right around Union Station. But Federal Boulevard is a big street that goes on the west side of town. And literally, you can't drive down that street without hitting a great international spot. A lot of really good taco spots um, right along Federal, some good dim sum um, over there as well, and some really authentic and interesting things happening along Federal. And then another neighborhood, or technically a town, just east of Denver is Aurora. And there's a lot of great international cuisine over in Aurora as well. Um, a dumpling shop just opened up that I like can't get enough of um, <laughs> over there. So yeah, there are, there are some little pockets of that as well where you can get, you're not going to get, you know, the elevated fusion, you know, white tablecloth experience. You're going to get really good, authentic cuisine. These are my favorite places anyway, Jessica. Like yeah, right. I, I go exactly. and visit my brother <laughs> in Los Angeles and he always takes me to gorgeous, beautiful restaurants, yeah. but, but he also takes me to my favorite taqueria in the whole world, Taco Miendo, which no one knows about, but it's just the best local tacos yep. of all time. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I Somebody, love these kinds you of know, places. It's like as much as I love restaurants and that, you know, that experience of, of fine dining, some of the best meals I've had in, in my life have been, you know, like a 25 cent taco on the street in Mexico City or you know, those little places that you just stumble into. And that's why I love food tours because you get, um, you get those locals that can say, okay, this is the spot to go to that's going to be off the beaten path a little bit, um, where you know you're going to get a really good meal. This is why the first thing you should do, in my opinion, is go on a food tour. When you go to a new city, yes. go on a food yes. tour because not only will you get to experience the cuisine, but if you've got a good, tour guide, if you've got someone who knows what they're doing, they'll tell you the history, the culture, and you can, you know, you're going to be walking from place to place. If you take advantage and bend their ear a little bit, you can ask questions and get your whole rest of your vacation. You can get an idea of of these places to go. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the one comment I get from my guests is I wish we, from my traveling guests is I wish we had done this on our first day. Yes. Um, Because we get people that will come on the last day of their trip and we just have more recommendations than they have time um, to usually visit the city. And like you said, we walk on our tours, we stop at some historical sites around town and we're always pointing out 
other great places to try. Um, after our tours, we give people our insider's guide to Denver dining, which is like a neighborhood guide of all of our favorite places to eat, drink, and be merry in the Mile High City. And so it's just, it, yeah, there's, there's a wealth of information from food tours that's not just eating. I think people assume that a food tour is just like, you know, marathon right. eating for right, a couple right. of hours, but you really learn a lot about the city. And I just think, you know, if you, if you eat when you travel, and that's always my focus when I travel, um, there's a lot you can learn about a place by, by its food. Um, and, and food and history are inextricably linked. So I like that about food tours as well. Exactly. The food defines the culture. This is what I always say. Absolutely. Food defines culture. Absolutely. And there'll always be time to go to the Empire State Building. Make the right. food tour your first, your first. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember my husband still jokes with me. I was in the Uffizi in, in Italy and I'm on my phone going, there's a really great Salumeria down the street. I really want to make sure that we hit this place. And he's like, you are literally in the, you know, but you know, that's always been my focus and my favorite part of travel. As I was reading more about Denver and Colorado, one thing that kept popping up in all of these different articles was Palisade peaches. And oh, yeah. I, I had never heard of Palisade peaches before, <gasps> but I kept seeing stuff about them. So let's talk Palisade peaches. What can you tell yeah. me about these? You They're sound the very excited when I bring up the topic. The <laughs> I know. It's so funny. Well, our farmer's market season just started and um, we're going to start getting these peaches pretty soon. And my farmer's market is like right down the street. So that's always my first Saturday morning um, outing. And when Palisade peaches hit, it's just a really big deal. So Palisade is on the Western slope. So um, outside of, of Denver, for sure, on the Western side of Colorado, but they call that area, you know, they say it has the million dollar breeze. It's just a great um, growing area for what originally was wine in Colorado, actually. So hmm. that whole Western slope was um, hundreds of little vineyards. Um, and grapes growing along um, the western slope. And then, you know, prohibition hit in the early 1900s and uh, all that ground to a halt. So a lot of the vineyards over on that western slope when prohibition hit, um, you know, pulled out, ripped out those those wine um, vines and then started growing stone fruits. And so for the same reason that people like Colorado wines, people love Palisade peaches that grow along there. And it's just a really big deal out here. They're just sweet and ripe and perfect. Is uh, Palisade peach pie a big thing or a peach jam? Uh, what kind of products Everything. would you, or just yeah, bite into it and have jam. it run down your chin? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I grill them in the summer. Um, yeah, you see them used in all sorts of, of different dishes. And um, once they're ripe and in season, it's just like a, a nice little marker of the year um, yeah. that, oh, it's Palisade peach season. They're coming into the farmer's market. You're seeing them, uh, uh, you know, used in all different desserts and things in, uh, in menus across the city. Yeah, I get excited about peach season, too. I mean, I guess yeah. that's one of the <laughs> one of the deals with this <laughs> is that, you know, these are the kinds of things that I get excited about. But I remember when yeah, we right. lived in Texas, uh, peaches are actually there's a lot of peach growing in Texas, which I was surprised mm -hmm. about when I moved there. But one of the things that I learned was that I didn't know before is that um, there's basically two peach seasons. One is you get the uh, cling fruit, which means the stone, the pit, it doesn't come out easily. You've got to basically um, move your knife around the pit to get it out. And then there's free, Interesting. free stone peaches, which are the kind where you, you run your knife around the perimeter and you 
pop it right out, you know? Right. And, and those stone in ones, they come first. And, you know, they're fine. I'm not a big fan. So I'm always like, oh, peaches are in season. Wait, what kind are they? <laughs> Which, know? right. Which Absolutely. one am I going to get? Because I'm not going to spend my life, uh, you know, cutting this uh, stone working, out of this peach. Exactly. Too much Working work. your peach to death. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'm excited that Palisade peaches are uh, coming into season for you guys. And I'm in Georgia right now. So we are going to be inundated yeah. with peaches very, very shortly here. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the different um, neighborhoods in Denver. You guys do yeah. a Rhino Arts District tour. Uh, tell me, tell me about this place. Tell me about Rhino Arts District. What's it like? What What's there to see? So it's short for River North. We're very um, fond of uh, nickname all of our na- nicknaming all of our neighborhoods. So Lodo is short for Lower Downtown, Low High, the Lower Highlands. Cap Hill is short for Capitol Hill. Rhino is short for River North. So this is this area just north of downtown that really as early as the 90s was nothing, was industrial. Uh, you know, a Denver journalist called it um, two parts railroads, one part tumbleweeds. There just wasn't a lot <laughs> happening um, in this sort of industrial neighborhood. But the artists of Denver started moving in because rent was cheap and they could get yep. nice big spaces, nice big studio spaces. And they really started to make the neighborhood cool. Um, the, the city of Denver actually released a city plan in the early 2000s that kind of officially named this neighborhood River North. And two female artists were living in the neighborhood, looked at that city plan and just thought River North, you know, it's not a very specific or, or iconic name. There's a river north in Chicago. There's a river mm-hmm. north in, you know, a number of other cities. And so they nicknamed it Rhino because they said, you know, the neighborhood like the, the animal, the rhinoceros is a little gritty, a little rough around the edges. <laughs> Good. Uh, so you will, if you go into Rhino today, you will see rhinoceroses painted everywhere, oh, um, nice. all over the neighborhood. My guests on that tour ask if there is like an animal sanctuary nearby. And I always have to, to explain, no, this is Rhino for, for the nickname of the neighborhood River North. Um, but it is truly the arts district. So it was officially named the arts district in 2005. Um, and it is 30 straight blocks of street art. So you cannot walk around the neighborhood without seeing these massive, gorgeous murals. Um, there's both commissioned street art and some really cool graffiti in that neighborhood that turns over. I mean, the graffiti's turning over all the time, right? Because that happens continuously. But they have a major street art festival um, in September um, where really the whole neighborhood's murals get turned over. So it was really made cool by the artists. The brewers moved in next because, again, cheap rent meant, mm-hmm. you know, they could get a lot of space to to brew beer and the restaurants, the developers, everyone followed. So it's one of those neighborhoods that's gentrified. There's a lot of um, friction around that as well, because now it is one of the most expensive neighborhoods in Denver to live. Um, and that is, has forced out some of the artists that originally made the neighborhood cool and interesting. Um, but it is definitely a little pocket of really good beer, really good restaurants, and amazing street art. I love street art. It's another thing that I always seek out when I go to a new city. And, yeah. you know, places like Berlin, and we lived in a neighborhood in Hawaii that was famous. They would bring in every year, every summer, they would bring in artists from all over the world, and they would paint new murals over this two-week yep. period. And it was just fantastic. But what I found from living there was, you know, 
the mural that I would walk by every single day and I would fall in love with. Yeah. Then changed. it changed. I was like, oh, I kind of yep. I like this new one, but I kind of missed that one. I'm glad I took a picture yep. of it because that old mural was one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, it's a really unique space, right? Because it's it's completely accessible. You don't have to spend a cent to see um, some really amazing art. They're not behind a you know a museum entrance. Um, but yeah, they're it's like living art. You know, it it it's always changing and it's always evolving. And you can't. I tell people in Rhino, you can't fall in love with anything because because um, in a couple of months it's going to be gone. It's going to be new. Um, so it's always really fresh in that um, in that regard. I would love to go and explore that Rhino neighborhood. That I would bring my camera. I think I would have a lot of fun there. It is. It's one of the most photographed neighborhoods in Denver. It's so incredibly colorful. You you just know it as soon as you step into that neighborhood. What other neighborhoods should we be sure and not to miss when we come to Denver, Jessica? I love Lodo, lower downtown. This is the area right around Union Station. This is the you know historic area of Denver. It's the oldest area of Denver. I always send people to Larimer Square, which is one of the oldest blocks in the city um, and has some of that original architecture that's been preserved over the years. So Lodo is definitely a neighborhood I send people to. The Highlands, um, again, it's right outside of downtown Denver. I mean, Denver is really nice in the sense that you can cover a lot of territory. It's all very concentrated, but the Highlands is, you know, high land just, just <laughs> above um, downtown and has a really nice pocket um, of really good restaurants, boutiques, um, and is a really walkable neighborhood as well. Before we let you go, we'll, we'll put links to all the places that you mentioned in the show notes, but tell people where they can reach you and a website to go to to book a tour at Delicious Denver Food Tours. So we're deliciousdenverfoodtours.com. Um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, all the things at Delicious Denver Food Tours. We've got tickets available now. We're running tours uh, seven days a week um, across Lodo and Rhino in Denver, and we work with some really great restaurants. So people can go online and, and book tickets with us. My information's also um, on our website as well. Perfect. Well, I look forward to being in Denver, having a craft beer and some Colorado-style green chili. Anytime. Okay, there you go. So much going on in Denver with Jessica and Delicious Denver Food Tours. I've got a link to her site and everything we talked about at radiomisfits.com slash DED143. We'll call that a wrap for this week. Next week, more foodie fun as we talk about all kinds of pasta. Different shapes, different fillings, different toppings. Don't miss that. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. If you're planning a trip, I've got foodie travel guides to dozens of cities. And speaking of pasta, let's say you're going to Italy. I've written 11 foodie travel guides to Rome, the Cinque Terre, the Amalfi Coast, three to Sicily. It's all there for free at DestinationEatDrink.com. My blog is also there. I just posted a story about who gets the aisle seat when you travel as a couple? That's always the question. You get the aisle, and then where does the other person sit? Do they sit on the window? Do they get crunched in the center? What do you do? I have a unique solution to this situation. That's the way that me and my girlfriend travel when we're on a plane, and I've never seen anyone else use this system, so I'll call it my own. You can read about it at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Green Chili Roaster Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. 
Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.